All right, good morning. Please take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to thank you very much for being here and welcome you. It's good to have uh, so many people here today and so many uh, want to give a special welcome and thank you to uh, some of the families. We are excited to baptize some people this morning after the service and so we're looking forward to that. And so today after the service, don't run anywhere except next door to the fellowship hall, all right? I want to invite you all over next door uh, to rejoice and to witness these baptisms, people who are publicly declaring their decision to follow Jesus. And so if you're here today supporting one of your loved ones, we want to thank you so much for being here. We are honored that you would be here with us this morning. This is uh, the second week, a final week in our two-week series on relationships. And so uh, last week you had Pastor Holland, the self-proclaimed love doctor, as he called himself, right? And <laughs> I don't know about that, but he talked about passionate relationships, developing passionate relationships. And if you haven't listened to that message, I encourage you to go back this week. It was a blessing. He told us to prefer one another and to pursue one another. And so go back and listen to that. It'll give you some context to the series as well. But today, as you can see on the screens, we're going to talk about developing purposeful relationships. And so today in the message, I just want you to know, we're going to get to the text a little bit later than I normally would. And so don't lose your place. We'll be in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Uh, but I want to begin this morning with a word of prayer. Ask God to meet with us and to speak to our hearts uh, this morning. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your goodness to us. Thank you for the cross, Lord, and the sacrifice you made. And thank you for your amazing grace. Lord, in these next few moments, as we open up your word, I pray, Lord, that you would use me, that you fill me with your spirit. I pray that we would have attentive hearts to listen to what you want to teach us today. Lord, help us not to just listen with our ears, but with our hearts, being ready to respond to your word, Lord. We love you, and we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to think with me, to in the Bible, back to when Christ was just about to go back to heaven. We would call it the ascension. He's with his disciples, and Christ gives the disciples a mission. We often refer to it as the great commission. I want to look at it here. I think we have it on the screen. In Matthew chapter 28, the Bible says this, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The word there that we see as teach, it's a commandment for us to go and to teach. That word is also translated in scripture as disciple or to be a disciple of. And so when Jesus Christ gave the commission to the disciples and really he gave that commission to the New Testament church, he's giving us a great commission which is to make disciples, which is to follow Jesus and to help other people follow after Jesus, to be disciples and to make disciples. Our mission statement here at Bible Baptist Church is to see Christ and to share hope. And that's really our way of saying that we want to be disciples and we want to make disciples. We ourselves want to seek after Christ and follow Jesus and be a disciple of him. And in sharing the hope of the gospel and the hope of the scriptures, we want other people to be able to follow him as well. Now, discipleship is a word that perhaps you're familiar with, perhaps that you're not. It's one we use a lot in church, uh, and I think sometimes it can be confusing, or at least it can take uh, many different forms. Many of you who've been a part of our church for some time have been a, uh, through a discipleship course. How many of you have been through a discipleship course at our church? Would you raise your hand? Okay, 
lots of us, we've done a 12 to 14 week course where we've walked through with somebody else in God's word the Bible basics for new believers and helps us to understand what the Bible teaches us, the foundations for Christian living. And that's a great thing. Some of you a couple years ago went through a class with Pastor Yeomans learning not just how to be discipled, but how to disciple somebody else, how to lead someone else through a course like that. And I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you're a believer and you've never been through a course like that, we would love to take you through that. It's a 12-week class and it helps you to understand the the fundamentals of our faith. The problem is, I think sometimes we've reduced discipleship to a program or to a 14-week period of time where we say, oh, we did discipleship, we did the 14-week class, we did the 12-week thing, and so therefore now we're all disciples of Jesus. We've got it all figured out. The problem is, is that I don't have it all figured out, and I'm sure if you're honest, you don't have it all figured out. And nobody can learn all what it means to follow Jesus in 12 weeks. It's just impossible. It's a great thing to do, but discipleship is so much more than that. I like what pastor and author John Mark Comer says when he refers to discipleship. He uses this term. Maybe it's a term that we would be more familiar or more common with in in today's language. He uses the term apprentice. He said, we're going to be an apprentice of Jesus. We know what it means to be an apprentice. It means to work alongside the master, to spend time with him, to learn with him. In, In an apprenticeship, there's years and years and hundreds of hours that are logged into working and hands on experience walking beside someone who knows what they're doing, studying them, learning from them, learning all the tricks of the trade. It's not something that's one and done. It's not a test that we take, a a check mark to be clicked. No, it's a a year, it's a three-year, I think, process of learning from the master. I like that word. I think it helps us to understand what discipleship's all about, apprenticeship to Jesus. So I want to make this statement. I want you to look to the screens with me this morning. I want to make this statement because I think it's so key to developing purposeful relationships. I believe that discipleship, which is a commission given to all of us as the church, requires purposeful relationships. If we are going to fulfill the great commission, which is something that God gave to us as the church, it's only going to be fulfilled through making purposeful and intentional relationships with others. Let me make my case from scripture, all right? Consider with me some biblical examples. Let's look first at Moses and Joshua. Moses, the leader of the children of Israel. And we know that Joshua was his successor. He followed him in the line. But before we ever get to Joshua chapter 1, when God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead, we see in Exodus chapter 33, the Bible says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Years before Joshua steps up into a position of leadership, he's Moses' Moses' servant. You could say he's his disciple, he's his apprentice, learning from the master. Consider with me the example of Eli and Samuel. Hannah, a praying mother, begs God for a son, and she says, God, if you give me a son, I promise I'll give him back to you. And she, she keeps her promise, and her son, uh, her son Samuel goes back to the temple, and she gives him to be raised and to be trained by Eli the priest. Consider this in 1 Samuel chapter 3, the Bible says this in verse 1, And the, the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. An Old Testament picture of discipleship, of apprenticeship, of the older priest Eli training and mentoring the younger Samuel. What about this example? 
I don't have a verse for it, but it's the greatest example in all the Bible. Jesus and his 12 disciples. He calls these young men to leave their nets, to leave their professions and their jobs and their careers and their families. He says, come and follow me. And they follow him for years, sitting with him and listening to him teach and watching him perform miracles. And he invests into them and he trains them and he teaches them so that when he returns, they can go on and do the work that he's left them to do. He's a picture of intentional, purposeful relationships. And what about this one? One of the best examples, I believe, other than Jesus himself, is the Apostle Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, mine own son in the faith. Paul meets Timothy when he's just a young boy, And he's been raised by a mother and a grandmother who are awesome, and they pass down this legacy of faith. And Paul meets young Timothy, and we don't see a dad in the picture for Timothy. And so Paul kind of takes him under his wing. And as a father would a son, he begins to mentor him and train him in the ministry. So much so that he literally refers to him. He says, that's my own son in the faith. What a picture of a purposeful relationship for the purpose of discipling young Timothy. And so, we're going to look at Paul again in our passage today in 1 Thessalonians. In fact, it has a lot to do with Paul and Timothy. But we're going to look at some principles from our text today that can help us to have purposeful relationships in this life. We will not fulfill the Great Commission as a church. We will not make disciples here in St. Thomas and the surrounding areas if we don't do it on purpose. Small talk does not make disciples. Saying hi in the lobby does not make disciples. If we are going to fulfill the Great Commission and make disciples for Jesus, it's going to be because we develop relationships on purpose. And so let's look at some principles from our text here today in 1 Thessalonians. I'd like to read the first 12 verses together. The Bible says this in verse number 1 of chapter 2. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know... At Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory. Neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you who believe. And we know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. This book of 1 Thessalonians is written by the Apostle Paul to a group of young believers. 
These are people he knows personally. Paul, you can read this story in Acts chapter 17, but Paul goes to Thessalonica, and for three Sabbath days in a row, he teaches in the synagogues. And people start to hear and take notice, and people start to get saved. Thessalonica was known for a wicked, anti-hating God kind of a culture, and yet people are turning to Christ through Paul's ministry. And so you have all of these young believers and young Christians, and here the apostle Paul is trying to uh, teach them and train them and disciple them. The problem is, as you can read in Acts 17, that the government and the wicked culture doesn't like this very much. You see, these Thessalonians are starting to say, hey, no, the government's not our king. God, Jesus, is the true king. And they're starting to worship the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and the government doesn't like that at all. And so Paul the apostle falls under great persecution. And so because of that, he's forced to flee these young believers and leave them. No doubt it must break his heart to take these young believers who are, are needing that encouragement and that training and just walk away from them. And so later, he sends young Timothy, his apprentice. He says, Timothy, go check on the, the believers there in Thessalonica and come and send me a report about how they're doing and if they're being faithful. And this letter is, is Paul writing back to the church after he's heard from Timothy. He's encouraging them and he's reminding them to be faithful. The first three chapters, Paul is retelling the story of how he got to know the, the Thessalonican believers and how they trusted in him and how, how God was changing their lives. And in chapter 2, he begins to speak about his relationship and the nature of his relationship with the church there. Here's something so key to help us to understand this passage. I mentioned already that this culture in Thessalonica was a wicked, evil culture. One of the things that was going on in this culture, and unfortunately it's going on today, is that people were using the office of a spiritual leader in order to take advantage of others. They were coming to them under the, the cloak of spiritual leader, but really their, their intention was to take advantage of them financially, unfortunately in some cases physically. And so these believers are stuck in this culture where everyone around them is like, hey, no, no, those spiritual leader guys, they're fake, they're phony, they're trying to take advantage of you. And Paul's like, no, 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 remember, that's going on in the world, but that's not who I was. And so he's reminding them of how he treated them and the relationship they had as he tried to invest and train and teach them spiritually. And so I want to look at some principles here that Paul reminds the church about and see what we can learn about our, our intentional, purposeful relationships as we try to disciple others. Last week, Pastor Holland told you this. He said the passage we looked at is applicable primarily to husband and wives, but there's principles we can learn from it, right? And this week, I want you to know that in context, this is specifically speaking to the relationship between a spiritual leader and the church. But remember that discipleship is not just a calling that was given to pastors. Discipleship is a calling that's given to the church, every single one of us. And so these principles, I believe, are absolutely applicable. And Paul, in great pictures of imagery, he uses some family relationships to help us understand the way that he behaved when he was with these believers. And so I want to look today at two family relationships and see what we can learn about having purposeful, intentional relationships in our life, all right? And so number one, let's notice together the example of a caring mother. The example of a caring mother. Notice in verse 7, Paul says, we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. When Paul calls himself a nurse who cherisheth his children, he's speaking of a, a, a nursing mother taking care of her own children. I don't believe he's speaking of somebody who's taking care of someone else's kids. 
He's speaking of a nursing mother who's taking care of her own children, who's feeding her own children. So right now you're thinking, who better, right? Who better than me to talk about the relationship between a nursing mother and her baby? <laughs> That's a joke. I, I don't speak from experience, all right? I'm just sharing the scripture from you. But this really is a beautiful picture of what it's like to purposely invest our lives into others. What it's like to purposely give ourselves in an attempt to disciple others. Think about a, a nursing mother. Paul uses the word, we were gentle among you. Paul is a spiritual leader. He's not harsh. He's gentle. He's patient with new believers who have lots to learn. He's allowing them time and love. He's not disconnected or harsh. He's gentle and loving. He's giving them the nourishment that they need in, in order to grow. Look at verse 8. He says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear to us. Paul said, we didn't just give you the truth of the gospel, we didn't just give you the spiritual food you needed, but we literally gave ourselves for you because you were dear to us, because we loved you. It's not a picture of a mom who's like, supper's ready, come and get it, right? That's not what Paul's doing. It's a picture of a nursing mother who's literally giving her body for her child. He says, you were dear to us, and we were gentle among you. That's the kind of relationship we had. Look at verse number 9. It says, You remember, brethren, our labor and our travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, but we preached unto you the gospel of God. He said, I didn't want to take advantage of you financially, and so I worked all night long so I could preach to you. I, I made tents. I did everything I could to support myself so that I could preach to you. I didn't take advantage of you at all. I was gentle among you like a, like a nursing mother. Consider with me just for a moment this beautiful picture of a mother and a child. A good mom loves her kids, so much so that it drives her to incredible lengths of sacrifice. I don't know that anybody sacrifices more than a loving mom for her kids. Many mothers give up their careers and their futures in order to have families and to raise them. Mothers literally sacrifice their own bodies in childbirth and in, in, and in feeding and nourishing their babies. How about their sleep, right? Any mothers say, yeah, I sacrifice my sleep? <laughs> Waking up at all hours of the night whenever the baby needs you, it's a, it's a huge sacrifice. Fulfilling a role that really only moms can, can do. How about their time? You give up all autonomy of your schedule. Your life then just revolves around the schedule of your kids. Just last week, Aloma and I don't have children, but just last week, we were trying to make plans with some of our friends who do. They're in this room. And we were basing our time of when we were going to hang out based upon when the baby was going to wake up from its nap, right? I'm like, that's how you know you're old. <laughs> you schedule your hangouts with your friends based around the baby's nap schedule. But that's what you do when you love your child. You allow your whole schedule to be thrown up in the air because you give yourself for your child. Consider the sacrifice of a mother, and yet they do it willingly. They do it because they love their children. So church, can I ask you, who are you investing your life into? Who are you spending your time and loving and caring about so much that you're purposefully discipling them, developing a relationship with the intention of leading them closer to Jesus? 
willing to sacrifice of your time and your energy and your physical health and your resources and your schedule just so that they can grow closer to Jesus. Paul says, we were like a mother among you, a loving, gentle mother. Who is it that you're sacrificing for, teaching and imparting your very life into? I believe the church, our church, needs some spiritual mothers. And, and guys, listen to me right here. Paul is calling himself a spiritual mother. He's not, we could sit here and say, that's right, Levi, you're right, church needs spiritual mothers. All right, ladies, time to step up. No, Paul says, we were like a mother among you. We need men and women to gently and lovingly sacrifice for the spiritual growth of others. This church needs spiritual mothers. Maybe today you'll make a decision to say, I'm going to be a spiritual mother. No matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice, I'm going to pour my life into somebody. I'm not just going to give them the gospel. I'm going to give them myself because I so desperately want them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. And so we see a caring mother, but I want you to notice, too, the example of a coaching father. Look at verse 10. Actually, you know what? Let's look together at verse number 11. Paul says this, And you know, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that you would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. The role of a father is a little different than the role of a mother. I think you can see some, I, I called it a coaching father because I, I think you can draw some parallels between the role of a father and the role of a coach. I think a lot of fathers end up being their son's coaches, which I think is an awesome thing because there's a lot of similar roles and similar responsibilities between those two people, fathers and coaches. Look at the phrases Paul used here to describe his relationship as a father. He says, I exhorted you, I comforted you, I charged you. I see it like a coach on the bench who's correcting that player. Hey, don't do it this way. Do it this way. you got to fix this. Next time when you're dribbling, you know, cross over. He's giving them encouragement. He's correcting them. He's coaching them. He's charging them. Every good coach has that pregame speech, right? And then that halftime speech, it gets you pumped up and ready to go. He's charging them. He's encouraging them. He's like, hey, guys, you can do it. How about this? He's comforting them. Isn't that a good coach? Puts his arm around you and says, hey, man, you played a great game. It didn't end the way that we wanted to. We didn't win this time, but you played a great game. That's the role of a coach. And he's not encouraging them to win a basketball game. Verse 12 says he's encouraging them to walk worthy of God. He's encouraging them to live for God and do what's right. He's like, you can do it. He's charging them. He's rebuking them when they get offline, when they need some correction. He's a coach. He's a spiritual father. He's also encouraging them when they need it the most. You know, if you're going to be a spiritual father today, it means you're going to be willing to have hard conversations. I believe much of coaching is done through hard conversations. And I think many people in churches today are unwilling to have hard conversations. It means that you're going to have to challenge somebody when they need a challenge. It means you might have to rebuke or correct them when they need a correction. It means you're going to know when they need encouragement, and you're going to have to offer that word of encouragement. The problem is, is we often don't even know what other people need. Our relationships are so surface within the church because we sneak in in the lobby, and we talk, and we make small talk. How was work? Good. How was work for you? And we come in, and the service is over, and we leave, and you don't even know enough about the people across the pew or the chair from you to know if they need encouragement. You don't even know if they need correction. I don't even know if they need rebuking. 
because I haven't developed purposeful relationships with them. A coach knows what's going on with his team, and he knows the right words to say, and he knows the right timing. And Paul was this kind of spiritual coach, this spiritual father who was willing to have hard conversations with the church. I want to say today that I'm thankful for people in my life who are willing to have hard conversations with me when I need it. I'm thankful for our staff, Pastor Stone's here, Pastor Yeoman's, Pastor Hong, because we have that dynamic as a staff. I'm thankful for some guys who aren't afraid to say, hey, Levi, I see this in your life, and I think you should avoid this. I think you should be careful. I, am th- I praise the Lord for that today. I'm thankful for some guys who know me and know when I'm struggling to the point where they're encouraged me. I'm thankful for a wife who knows when to comfort me. Man, I'm thankful for people in my life who play that role of a spiritual father who know me and have invested in me and know the right word to say at the right time when I need it. The church, oh, excuse me, sorry. I think there's one other reason, not just that we don't know each other well enough, but I think there's one other reason why we don't see enough spiritual fathers in the church. And I purposely skipped over verse 10, but if you look at it with me, the Bible says this. Paul says, ye are witnesses And God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Paul says, hey, look at our life. Look at our reputation. We behaved ourselves wisely. We did what was right. He says, you saw on the outside. And he says, and God also. God saw on the inside. Our actions were right and our motives were pure. I believe we don't have enough spiritual fathers today because a spiritual father has to set an example. You can't just talk the talk. You've got to be willing to walk the walk. You've got to be willing to offer your life as an example and say, I'll do what's right. It's hard to encourage somebody and correct someone when you're not doing what's right. It's really hard. And so if we're going to be spiritual fathers, it means setting our lives up as an example and saying, I will do what's right. Follow me as I follow Christ. I'll set the example and I'll encourage you and comfort you and exhort you and correct you when you need it. We need some spiritual fathers today, church, men and women, to step up and say, I'll be a spiritual father. I'll be a coach. I'll offer my life as an example. I'll do the right thing. I'll invest and find some relationships, and I'm going to purposely encourage them when they need it. I'm going to get to know them so I know where they're struggling, so I can correct them and encourage them and comfort them, just like a spiritual father would do. We need some spiritual fathers. We need some of you today to make a decision to say, I will be a spiritual father father to somebody in the church. I believe the church has become a place full of spiritual orphans. Spiritual children, believers who trusted in Christ, but are desperately looking for mothers and fathers. Where are they going to find them? The church needs people to step up and say, I'll be a mother and I'll be a father I'll invest not only the truth of the gospel, but I'll invest my own life, no matter what it costs me, no matter how many hard conversations I got to have, no matter how difficult it is, no matter what time of night it costs, or it is, it doesn't matter the cost. I'll invest my life in others. Why? Because I want to see them follow Jesus. Are we too selfish? Are we too private? Preferring to keep people at arm's length, keep people away where we're comfortable, where we're not in our comfort zones. I'll tell you what, church, I'm thankful for a couple small groups that alone and I have the privilege to be a part of. In the last couple weeks, when we had some scary news in our family, I'm thankful for small groups who cried with us and prayed with us and wrapped their arms around us. Man, that was such a blessing to us. Thank you. We need some people who are willing to invest. I'm getting emotional here. 
Well, I'll tell you a light story to try and change the tune here. <laughs> one of my greatest joys in life, and I mean this, one of my, I wish they were here today. I, I would love to introduce you to them, bring them on the stage. But one of my greatest joys in life is being an uncle. Almost nothing makes me happier in life than hearing Uncle Levi and Auntie Loma. We love being an uncle and an aunt. On both my side of the family and Loma's side of the family, we've got some beautiful nieces and nephews. Whew, give me one second here. I pride myself in being an uncle. I love being Uncle Levi. And you know what? This is the kind of uncle I like to be. You ever heard this term? I want to be a funkle. You know what that means? It means a fun uncle. I want to be the funkle. I want to be the fun uncle. I want to be the uncle who shows up and the party's on, man, and the games are out and the sports and the candy. I mean, I want to have all kinds of fun with my nieces and nephews. Just last night, Aloma and I were talking about some plans we have to try to do things with our nieces and nephews with things reopening. And man, we're excited. I want to be that fun uncle. You know why I think I love my nieces and nephews so much? Because I get all the joys of relationship and none of the work. <laughs> none of it. It is awesome. We can hang out all night and we can have fun and get them all riled up. And when it's time for them to go to bed, we head out. And my sister or Aloma's sister, they stay up all night long trying to nurse that baby to sleep and make sure that they're up in the middle of the night when he can't sleep and feed them. I get none of that. My sister Abby and Aloma's sister Precious too has a, just little ones, babies. And I can hold them and it's so sweet. But when I'm like, you know what I do? I'm like, here you go. Not my job. Dad, mom, right? I'm just looking for a parent. I don't want to do that. I get all the joys of relationship and none of the work. I don't worry about if they're going to sleep well at night. I don't. I don't worry if I fed them too much sugar. I don't worry about it. I don't worry if they're too riled up. I don't worry if the toy I gave them makes too much noise. I don't worry about any of that stuff. I just worry about having the most fun I can when I'm with them. And I think, unfortunately, we got a lot of people in our church, in churches around the world, who want to be spiritual funkles. <laughs> we don't need aunts and uncles in the church. We need mothers and fathers. We don't need aunts and uncles who are saying, yeah, we'll hang out and we'll, we'll fellowship, but when the, when the work shows up and when things get tough, we're out of here. We need some spiritual mothers and fathers and say, I will invest my life. I will sacrifice my health and my time and my well-being, whatever it takes so that other people know how better to follow Jesus. Church, I want to com commend you today and encourage you today. Would you please commit to being a mother and a father? We don't need aunts and uncles. I want to give you one last verse as we finish up this morning. The Bible says this. I think it's on the screen there in 2 Timothy 2. And verse 2, this is Paul writing again to this guy we've heard about a lot today, Timothy. The Bible says this, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. This is the cycle of discipleship in one verse. It's that Paul has poured his life into Timothy, and then Timothy pours his life into faithful men who then pour their life into others and that cycle continues, and the gospel goes forth, and the church is built, and generation after generation walk with God and know God and are in his word. Why? Because some spiritual mothers and fathers were willing to do what it takes to pass on what's been passed on to them. And so church, if we allow this place to be a place of spiritual orphans, there's going to come a day when it doesn't pass on anymore. When there's generations who grow up don't know God because there's nobody there to teach them. 
where children and teenagers and young people are looking for some sort of direction and guidance and somebody to love them and encourage them and help them, and they're going to go to the world for it because they're not going to find a mother and a father who cares enough to invest in them in the church. And Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I've poured my life into you. You pour your life into others, and the cycle will just continue. And so church, maybe today you need to find somebody to pour into you. I hope this church is a place where you can find someone. I hope this church is a place where you can find a Paul if you're feeling like Timothy. But church, maybe you have lived a life and you've walked with God and you have some experience and you know God's word. Can I challenge you, please, would you commit today to be a spiritual mother and a spiritual father, to pass on to others what's been invested in you? Our, your children, your grandchildren, our next generations, they need it. We need it. The health of this church and the gospel here in St. Thomas, we need to be willing to do whatever it takes as caring mothers and as coaching fathers to pass on our faith to the next generation. I want to encourage you to have your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I'll ask that those who are preparing for a baptism sneak out at this point and head over next door. We're going to take just a couple moments to talk with God and to think about what he's taught us from his word this morning. Perhaps there's some of you today who realize, I've been a spiritual aunt or a spiritual uncle. I have not done what it takes to purposely pour my life into somebody else. And maybe today you'll make a decision to say, I'm going to be a spiritual mother and a spiritual father. I'm going to find somebody who I can pour my life into, not just give them the gospel, but I'm going to give them myself. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're feeling like you need that kind of mentor. You need that mother and that father. Would you pray and say, Lord, would you lead me to a spiritual mother and a spiritual father? Would you help someone to come alongside me? Maybe there's some older people or some seasoned Christians in this room who need to go find out somebody. Right now, God's put someone on your heart. Go wrap your arm around them, bring them to the altar and say, I want to be a spiritual mother to you, a spiritual father to you. I don't know what decision you need to make, but I know this, that our church needs spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers. And so I want to encourage you to take a few moments now to talk to God. Some music's going to play. I want to encourage you to make a decision right now to invest your life into others.